As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. I think taking care of your tenants, taking care of your properties, getting the best tenants in the market, paying, I don't say the highest rent, but pretty close to the highest rent. I think it's always going to be a winning strategy. And those tenants tend to give you the least hassle. Mm-hmm. The most hassle comes from the lowest quality units. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal best ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from your bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payments to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today. Richard Schulman. How you doing, Richard? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And I was reading your bio. You are a machine, sold nearly 1,000 homes valued at over $500 million, 
and runs the number two Keller Williams team worldwide. Holy cow, that's impressive. Thank you. Yeah, just a combination of good service and hard work. I look at that and I think, man, we could be doing so much better. (laughs) As a top performer usually does, over 30% of Richard's sales are properties intended for rental or resale, and he ranks in the top one-tenth of a percent of realtors nationwide based in Los Angeles, California. And you can say hi to him and check out his company at his company website, which is his name, richardshulman.com. A link to that will be in the show notes page. With that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. I am from LA, born and raised. I had a small sort of painting franchise business in college through a student painting company, which was quite an experience. And I learned an incredible amount about business from that. I realized that I learned more doing that than with my economics business degree. So I did that. And then painting business got soft, or we thought the painting business would get soft because the economy was getting soft. We actually did really well because that was the first year of the real housing boom in 2003, 2004. So I got out of painting and got into real estate. It's just been a long haul. I've been in real estate basically my whole professional career. And I really quickly early on realized that investors were great because it takes the emotion out of it, right? There's no, the kitchen doesn't feel right. It's more like, well, bedrooms, bathrooms, rent. And I also realized that most people will just buy one home for themselves to live in. Your average client doesn't have like three primary residences, but your average client who buys a house could probably buy a rental property and some of them will buy 10 rental properties. So I figured when you say a third of the business is rental properties, that's the easiest business because you're just trying to find good value for your clients. And it's usually a very small pool of clients who develop good trust with you. So it's been a real focus of my business. And then personally, I remember in 2008, I was trying to sell this guy the second foreclosed condo I'd ever been inside of. And he wanted to throw some low offer. And I was selling him so hard on him. I'm like, this is a great deal. And it's down 45% into 18 months. And the return is 10% or whatever it was. And he, he wanted to throw a low offer at them. So I bought it myself. And then... <laughs> Started realizing it's sometimes easier just to buy the property yourself than to make the commission on it. Uh huh. How many times have you done that? Once I sort of realized that that was a better move, I became more of an active investor myself. Just as a practice, I know you have a lot of agents who listen to the show. In order to protect the sort of integrity of my business, I will always give the property to my client if they're interested. I won't sandbag any deals or I won't try to sneak one by them. Like they're looking, I'm not going to outcompete my clients, but. There's always a lot of properties out there that make sense for people. So there's always value to be had. Got it. How long have you been going at this? 14 years in real estate. 14 um, years. I bought my first rental property personally in 2008. I guess okay. about nine years into that, 10 years into that. That was a condo? Yeah. Still own it. Okay. And that's in Los Angeles, you said? Yeah, that's right. And are all of your rentals in L.A.? Yeah, they're all in the L.A. area, so there's a lot of smaller cities that are sort of incorporated into Los Angeles, but yeah, they're all in the L.A. metro area. Okay. What's your overall approach with your own portfolio? Is it – do you have to make a certain return? Is it cash flow? Is it appreciation? What is it? So that's a good question. This is where it's real important when you're talking to your clients or even for yourself, trying to analyze what are you looking for. For me personally, nothing matters besides cash flow. And I know not everyone agrees with me on that, and I'm prepared to defend my claim. If my properties were worth a billion dollars, I guess if there was a billion dollars, I'd be pretty happy. But if they were worth a ton of money or 30% more than they're worth now, I really couldn't do anything else with those properties, right? 
if the property values were much higher, I, it would be hard to sell them and then reinvest the money at a better return. That's just the nature of how returns work. So for me, it's all about cash flow. So I would say that probably about three quarters of what I own was purchased strictly for cash flow with a couple caveats. I have a partner on some of them. We did purchase a couple things that were sort of hedges, like nice properties in more expensive areas that we might want to redevelop in the future. We also purchased some properties that were larger lots with income so that we could also redevelop those lots in the future. So by doing that, if the land value goes up enough, we can build condos or apartments on that land. But we're still collecting our minimum return now. We're not looking to buy anything under 9% cash on cash return. So all of those properties met that requirement as well. Who's we? So I hope that answer was because I, I have a partner on some of them. A friend of mine, we purchased some of the properties together. He's in, in mortgage, so it's a good combination. He's in mortgage. You're a real estate broker. When you do a redevelopment, who brings the construction management, project management experience? The biggest we've done is we've done heavy rehab on properties, but we haven't done any development of new units yet. So we're going to figure it out. I think the best way to do it is to learn it by trying. And we'll probably make a lot of mistakes, but we're going to start with a smaller project, maybe just build a couple units and just make sure we know what we're doing before we go ahead and larger. How much of your focus is on the growing your company as a real estate broker versus growing your cash flow as a real estate investor? My entire focus is on growing cash flow. I'm all about passive income. It's really been beaten into my head from people I've talked to. I really think that's the right move to make for my future financial security. But that being said, the only way to acquire cash flow is with investment money. You need money to invest. Otherwise, you're not an investor. So growing my business and driving my business produces income to invest. The shortage is always money to invest. It's never properties to buy. I've never said like, oh, I have a lot of money sitting around and I can't find the right properties. It's always the other way around. It's always like scrambling to borrow money to buy a property that came up that I really think will be a good deal for me. 14 years in the business and you are top one-tenth of a percent, all realtors nationwide. What are some tips for some best ever listeners who are real estate agents and want to climb the ladder of success as an agent? I think there's a sort of weird thing in real estate where I learned a lot of this by observing. I just had this natural instinct to learn and observe from other agents. So as a new agent, I would quiz agents on what they were doing. Are you buying properties? And what I found surprisingly was a lot of agents are really bad at actually their own real estate. Others very successful brokers who will have a nice house and that type of thing. But like a lot of your mid-level agents who are making a good living and have or should have investable income or not saving and investing, they're not really competent or confident in their ability to invest in real estate. I get asked by a lot of brokers doing $20, $30, 40000000 million a year for investment advice. But it's just not something they're focused on. So I think the lesson would sort of be like, you have to learn that business. If you're not brokering investment properties, you do have to learn that business. You have to get comfortable with it. And you have to be a disciplined saver. Like you have to understand that unless you're putting away lots of money, especially in a high price point market like ours, it's going to be hard to invest. What's an example of you being a disciplined saver? I did an interview for Keller Williams Realty and we're broken up into regions. I did an interview about six months ago for the Northern California region. And they wanted to ask me, they gave me an example of they cut out the fancy coffee service because they thought the market was shifting in their area and they wanted to trim costs so they would be lean and profitable. And they said, what would you do? And I said, I would have never had the fancy coffee service in the first place. So I've just always been a no-nonsense guy as far as expenses. 
I invest money where it returns for me. So if we're doing an advertising spend, I want to make sure that advertising money is getting returned to me in multiples. If it's not, we're going to cut it out. I see a lot of realtors driving really fancy cars. I don't. I look at every dollar as like, I can be making 10% on this dollar in six months and I save it up and I put it into a property. Mm-hmm. And when I say 10%, remember, I'm just looking at cash for cash, not appreciation. Right. I don't think I, I clarified that before. Right. Earlier, you think you said 9% cash on cash return. So between 9 and 10% is what you're looking for? Nines are minimum. So like we really wouldn't look at anything below that. I just think that we're finding enough stuff there. And there is some sweat equity to all these things. And there is some hassle and effort. And so it's not just like an, a free check. So I do want to make sure we're making enough. And I think that I think that's a reasonable, our market is a reasonable return to be hitting. Tell us about the last deal that you bought in the Los Angeles area that netted at least 9% cash on cash return. Sure. We just bought a triplex in Inglewood where they have a new stadium going in and we bought it on the market. You know, there's not like a secret deal. That's another misconception. Like most of the stuff that I've purchased has been on the market publicly available. So we bought the property. It was in awful condition. And one of the units had some unpermitted additions and need to be cleaned up. So we purchased it, triplex 600K on a 10,000 foot R3 lot. So we could build seven units on it one day. So we purchased it and we went in right away. We totally gutted the front house, cleaned up all the problems, got rid of some mold and some other stuff and really made it beautiful. I'm a big believer in my properties. Like I always have the best properties in the neighborhood or the second best. Nothing brand new, but like when we remodel that house, it's by far the best thing that those tenants are going to see. When they're touring rentals, we, we have the cleanest. We do the yard, we do the fences, we paint everything. Like when they move in, it is spick and span perfect for them because we want those tenants who really appreciate that and value that, and we get an extra bump on the rent for that. So we created a little yard, the little house in front with the duplex in back, and then we try to stay very ethical in our approach. When we buy the property, it's a non-rent controlled area. So we don't want the tenants to have to move out. So we keep the rents below market so they can stay in their homes, but we're still hitting our target on return. Even though they're paying a little bit lower than market, we still take care of their units and everything looks perfect for them. And that's the best way to keep your tenants happy, paying rent, not causing problems. When you take care of a tenant like that, they never call for maintenance. They fix it themselves. They don't bother you with that stuff. They pay the rent early. So it works out for us overall. You said in that example, you paid $600,000 for a triplex in Inglewood, and it was on a 10,000-foot R3 lot, so you can build seven units additional. Did I hear that correctly? Seven total. Seven total, so four additional units. Yeah. If we developed it, we would scrape it and, and build over and build bigger units. Okay, you would just start from scratch, knock down the three, and build seven up. And it also, you had to gut the front house and there was mold in, I guess, one of the other two units, right? The mold was in the front house. Okay. The mold was in the front house. And what else did you have to do? I think I missed something else that was a major part. Um, it's a front house. So we made it like a house. We put a fence around it. It had its own parking. So it's sort of separated from the back unit. And we've done that on a lot of our properties like that, where if there's like a cottage or a secondary house. We get that home feel, which allows us to get higher rent because mm-hmm. it's not an apartment. It's not like a little house on a multifamily lot. It's like a totally separate, unique home. We do the landscaping. I just see a lot of rentals out there and the little details really matter to the tenants because you want the tenants who are going to really pay a premium for like a really nice place, not the tenants who are going to come in because it's the cheapest thing on the market. 
those tenants are the ones who are causing problems long term. Mm-hmm. And every market's different. So by doing this over and over again, like we've sort of learned like what, what are the right things to do and not do. But I think in any market, I think taking care of your tenants, taking care of your properties, getting the best tenants in the market, paying, I don't want to say the highest rent, but pretty close mm-hmm. to the highest rent, I think is always going to be a winning strategy. And those tenants tend to give you the least hassle. Mm-hmm. The most hassle comes from the lowest quality units. If I were a new client of yours and I said, hey, Richard, I got $300,000. I want to buy something like what you just described. Uh, I can hopefully get some financing for the 600 k purchase. Would you be able to find me another one of those deals? Yeah, that was a pretty good deal because of the mold. It scared off a lot of buyers. Uh-huh. And I've done a lot of mold properties, and so we were able to really analyze the risk and cost of remediating it. I think that there's probably close to that there's stuff available, but we've been able to acquire less this year than last year. We've done two acquisitions this year. We probably did seven or eight last year. The prices have gone up a lot, which are squeezing margins, which is making it tougher. So uh, that was a pretty good deal. But I think there's stuff out there generally like in that range, sure. Mm-hmm. And the reason I ask is because California has the second highest representation of listeners of this podcast. And there's a lot of people in California who listen who are trying to get at least 9% cash on cash return on their deals while hopefully investing in their backyard. And you just described a case study for how to do so. Yeah, it's not like you're just going to go on the MLS today or call a broker today. And if they want to call me or you want to call me, I can't say like, well, here's I have six things waiting. That was the best thing we bought all year. So there is some patience involved. There's also just the aspect that if I brought you into a home that had mold in it and said there's an unknown mold problem, but the (laughs) sellers have priced it accordingly, and you have a very tight contingency period. So we don't have the opportunity to go in there, bring a mold tester and do destructive testing and bring in our vendors. We have the opportunity to like go in there for five minutes with our handyman and our contractor, check it out, and then make a bid. So it requires a certain level of experience and faith. Then you have to go in there and put that sweat equity in there. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I show people property. They don't want a mold property. They don't want a property that, quite frankly, was disgusting when we bought it. When we did the remodel, of course, we know there's going to be surprises like, we went to go retile the bathroom floor. The floor fell through. It was rotted out. So now we've got to spend thousands of dollars building a new floor in the bathroom. You know, keep in mind this is a property that we're hopefully going to demolish in five or seven years. So mm-hmm. these are all things that are going to happen that people have to worry about. So I guess the advice piece there would be that if you want to make money in real estate, you have to get your hands dirty. Mm-hmm. That there's not brand new apartment buildings in Beverly Hills that are making 9% returns. Those get 2.5% returns. Mm-hmm. But if you want 9%, you got to go in there and remediate some mold. You have to demo some things. You have to put in a new bathroom subfloor when it falls through. You have to get your rent and cashier's checks and go to the bank and cash them. You can't do it by phone. Sometimes those cashier's checks bounce. You, know, you got to do all those things. I didn't even know cashier's checks could bounce. I, I didn't either, them. actually. I'm, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I didn't know that. <laughs> I'm glad I haven't experienced okay. that. Pro tip, when you get your checks and your rent and cashier's checks, like if I get a deposit, I take it to the bank and have them verify that it's good. So I usually only take like Bank of America cashier's checks and I can walk into the branch across the street and have them cash it on the spot for me. Mm, okay. You mentioned that was the best deal that you purchased. Was it last year or this year? This year. We have- so what was the worst deal you purchased this year? Well, I've only bought one other property. So. Oh, okay. Uh- well, <laughs> that's easy. <then. laughs> 
What about last um, year? What was the think, worst? What was the worst deal you bought last year? I don't live in regret. I think that there's nothing that I've ever purchased that I ever that I look back and say I wish I didn't purchase that. I think it's such a simple business. Like we're just looking at income and expenses, and we've never had a huge misfire. We've never even had like a moderate misfire. Let me ask the question differently. What is the lowest performing acquisition you've done on a return standpoint? Sorry to be difficult. That's all right. I get the mentality. I understand it. I don't think it's a complicated thing. So like when we're buying income, we're buying income. Actually, I'll tell you one. That's a little bit of a funny story. I do have one. I forgot. I, I, I do have Conveniently block it out of your memory. <laughs> yeah. You can edit this in post. We'll cut that all out. But we bought this condo and I'm forgetting the details. It was a few years ago. Let's say it was worth $175,000 at the time. And it was on the market and there was a holdover tenant who was not allowing any repairs and the seller tried to evict and the seller ran out of money and gave up. So she sold it to us for like 110 or 120, something like that. All cash, no contingencies. You're taking on this health department case. I showed it to an eviction attorney. She said, no problem, slam dunk eviction if he doesn't cooperate with the repairs. I'll tell the condensed story. It got very interesting actually, but then we closed escrow. We you know, wired money, closed escrow. We're really excited. I met the guy. He was very nice. I said, listen, I'm sorry about the other owner. You know how I operate. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to make everything better. I'm even going to do extra things as a show of good faith. We're going to keep your rent, which was like $500 a month below market. We're going to give you a one-year lease at that rate so that you're happy. And he was great. The minute we closed escrow, I called him up. Hey, can we come over? We want to start repairs right away. I don't want you to have any problems. And the problems were all nonsense. Like it, there was a brand new HVAC and he had disconnected it. And the health department flagged it. You know, it was like all I needed was like an hour of a handyman to connect the gas line. And he's like, you're not coming on my property. I think a judge needs to hear my story. This oh, goes my. on and on and on. I sent the handyman over to try to reason with him. I had my partner call to try to reason with him. Finally, I'm getting to my wit's end because he's not going to help me. Now the eviction attorney is like, you know, I'm thinking about it. Since you're an investor, not an owner user, it's a real messy eviction and you might lose. And I'm like, what are we talking about? It's like, oh, it could be $10,000 in legal fees. And I said, if I give you $10,000, you guarantee me an eviction. No, there's no guarantees. I'm like, well, so all these things are adding up. So finally I called the guy and I said, listen, I'll give you $25,000 cash to move out. And he said, I think a judge needs to hear my story. I said, okay, well, I'm out. So actually, I ended up selling it to a friend of mine's employee who bought it, did an owner-occupied eviction. So he, he's zero. Oh, yeah. So I, I was net zero on it. So that was the messiest deal we bought. We thought we could go in there and handle a difficult tenant, and we were totally whiffed on it. I was fortunate that that guy was able to buy it off of me. He did the owner-occupied eviction. Six days later, the guy's out on the street. Unfortunately for him, I could have had $25,000 cash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And now and- that condo is probably worth two seventy-five. So. And the takeaway for the eviction process is to do the owner-occupied because then you're dealing with someone's living situation versus an investment property, right? Right, exactly. The first house I purchased to live in myself was the same thing. It was a holdover tenant with a bank, and he tried to shake me down, and we went with an owner-occupied eviction, and he backed down. And then actually, that house, we ended up renting to him for eight years. He just moved out after eight years. But because it was an owner-occupied eviction, it was a slam dunk. So we kind of misread the situation, but we priced in our risk that we were able to walk away with just a few hours of hassle on it, which was fortunate, I guess. But I guess the lesson is I can evaluate mold, no problem, but the court system is a little bit tougher. The court system is not friendly to the landlord in Los Angeles or California, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. I never seek to go to court with the tenant because it's not a winner. 
Yep, everyone in New York and New Jersey are shaking their head in empathy with you. That's the way there too. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I think it's just to look at, at income. I think people are too focused on buying pretty properties. And when I meet with someone, a lot of times we sell someone a house to live in. And then we say, hey, you know, you can also buy a rental property. And here's how that works. People are always trying to buy a rental property that's somewhere they want to live or looks like something they want to live in. And I sold this very nice lady in a big apartment building. And I would call her and she's like, oh, I'm buying like antique light fixtures at the, like the specialty store. Oh, and like, no. I'm like, why are you doing that? She's like, well, it looks spectacular. I'm like, yeah, but they're not going to pay you $3 a month more in rent because you have this $400 light fixture. This woman lives in an incredible house. And for her, it's like she couldn't imagine like owning something that wasn't matching that. So I'm not saying go out there and buy garbage. I'm just saying that you don't need to buy very expensive properties or very nice properties or properties in nice neighborhoods. Find a safe neighborhood, find somewhere you're comfortable going to but it doesn't have to match your quality of living at home. That's probably not going to make rental sense. So the best advice, just look for cash flow. What's going to give you the highest return with a little bit of balance out for the lowest capital. Mm-hmm. So like don't buy an apartment building for full of studios or single room occupancies in a really bad neighborhood, but building full of three bedrooms in a bad neighborhood with section eight. Great. Let's do it. Your case studies are relevant to not only people living in California, but then also anyone living in a rental area or a market that tends to have higher price points like Miami or New York City or some parts of New Jersey. And I'm really glad that you talked about this. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? I I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I think you are. (laughs) First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's the corporateinvestor.com. All right, Richard, what's the best ever book you've read? I'm going to go with The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Very good book. And Tools of Titans is another one. And he's got another book coming out that I just pre ordered. I don't remember the name of it, but. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, no. yeah. I listen to his podcast, everything he does. Yeah. That book really changed how I thought about a lot of things. What's the best ever deal you've done that you have not mentioned? Personally? Yep. I sold my father-in-law condo in Inglewood, and we were in escrow for 73000 The bank gave us a $10,000 discount, and he decided he didn't like it because the building was pretty shabby. So I took it off his hand for $63,000, and it's probably worth two seventy-five now. Mm. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that you have not mentioned? I'm a little sloppy, but my partner is very detail-oriented, so we're a good match. I don't think we really made a big mistake, other than that one that I mentioned. Nothing that was like a critical error. We tend to go in guns blazing on these things, so you're sort of building in like there's going to be some risk and some margin, but no mistakes. We know our business. We know what we're doing. What type of financing? I know you said your partner has a mortgage background. What type of financing do you do on, say, that triplex in Inglewood? 
typically one of the ways that you're going to get a deal or a value or you're going to get to the top of the pile is you pay cash. So we'll use credit lines to pay cash for a property and then we'll cash out refinance it right away. Where do you do the cash out refi? Which bank? Yeah. It's from different banks every time. It's not like just from his bank. It's not just from one bank. Like We'll shop around for rate and terms and some are commercial and some are triplex and different banks have pricing if you're taking cash out versus if you're just doing a rate and term refi. Okay. The line of credit to buy all cash plus you've got the money to go in to improve the property and then you do a cash out refinance, get your money back out and hold on to the property long term. Yeah, exactly. And most people, the easiest way to raise capital for an investment property is getting a HELOC on their primary residence. So most major banks will go to 85% loan to value with a HELOC. So most people who've owned a home for a few years have a lot of equity. They can get a HELOC, which is a great instrument for buying property because it's just sitting there waiting for you. So know that you have some cash sitting around, you can write a check for a property, then you cash out refinance it with an investment property loan and you can pay down the HELOC back. Mm. What's the best ever way you like to give back? As far as charity or yep, just yeah, in general. Like I mentioned before, we have a lot of properties we've, we've inherited tenants and we really never, as long as the tenants are respectful and they're polite, they pay their rent on time, we try to do our best to keep them. So we have several tenants who are below market or well below market and we try to keep them in there because we know in Los Angeles, especially, there's not a lot of other options for them. So my partner, Adam and I, our wives, like we would never feel comfortable if we dislocated someone knowing that there's not really another great option for them. So that's non-negotiable for us. Now, we also have people like that who are rude or pay their rent late or they damage the property or they don't take care of it. That's a different story. But I've gotten thank you cards from my tenants. I get like Christmas cards from my tenants, Mm -hmm. at least two that I can think of, which I didn't know happened. (laughs) What's the best ever way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? My email is shulmanrd at gmail.com. My website is richardshulman.com. There's a contact page and my phone is 310-482-0173. You told us how to make at least 9% cash on cash return buying properties in a very hot market, Los Angeles, in and around Los Angeles, and that can be applied to other places. You get a line of credit to acquire, and you do the updates, and then you do a cash out refinance. You make sure that the deal cash flows at least 9% return, and you gave that a specific example in Inglewood on the 600k acquisition. I guess I didn't ask you what rents are going for. I just assumed you're at least making the 9%. Is that correct on that deal? Oh, on that one? Yeah, I think we're like at 17%. I mean, it was crazy. So we're at 1150 each on the back units, and those are probably worth 1300 But those tenants are there, and they're, they pay the rent on time, and they're very nice. They've never had a maintenance call in three months, which is pretty good. I've actually never been inside those two units, to tell you the truth. Like I said, we have a very short due diligence period. When the front's 24, 24.50. So we're getting 4,400, I think, in rent, something like that, on a 600K purchase, 30% down loan, basically. So I think we're like at 17% cash on cash, including all of our expenses. Plus, we're amortizing here. Yep. Well, thank you for sharing that case study, your overall approach, how you've grown your business, and everything in between. Hope you have a best ever day, Richard. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. 
listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com.